The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us, and you can follow live tweeting of the show at hashtag BigBeaconRadio. And this segment, this first segment, is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we're... We're uh, very excited and blessed to be joined by Kristen Armstrong, Executive Director of the Saugatuck Center for the Arts. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Well, thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Well, and it's um, great to have you here. And, of course, uh, we live in the same – well, you, we don't live in the same community. You live in St. Joseph, Michigan, but but you work in the community that I live in, and, and we've gotten to know each other around your work at the Saugatuck Center for the Arts. And I just thought it was such a great example of – the ways in which entrepreneurial thinking is changing the role of uh, of what is already an important uh, uh, cultural artifact in in our lives, the the, the so called center for the arts, and and uh, we want to talk about that in this show. But uh, in on this show, as as you know, uh, we like to get to know our guests uh, a little bit more personally than that. And so, you know, Kristen, you've been a journalist, you've worked in universities and nonprofits, and you're the leader of a nonprofit. But let's go back in the time machine. What what were some of the key early influences that put you on your current path? Yeah, that that's such a great question. I love that you always ask your guests that because when I listen to the podcast, which I do, um, I'm always intrigued by how people get their start because it's often not initially in the thing that they end up doing. Uh, I started, as you mentioned, um, I was a journalist. I started actually back in high school. And like many people, I was blessed with a really incredible high school teacher who, when I think about early influences for sure, um, Howard Spanogel, who was not only an English teacher at good old Glenbard East High School in Lombard, Illinois, Chicago suburb, um, but Howard was the newspaper advisor and um, the skills that I learned as already then as a 16, 17, I guess, 18-year-old on my high school newspaper, certainly if I go back and, and really connect the dots and see this clearly, that in many ways was um, 
the start of kind of entrepreneurial thinking. I wouldn't have called it that back then, but as I now look back, I realize that's exactly what was happening, that while you had a structure for the newspaper and a, it was a monthly, I believe it came out, uh, we were constantly innovating within that structure and going after stories and things changed all the time and deadlines and, you know, all the usual that goes along. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty serious um, high school newspaper. We competed for state and for national awards, actually, and, and ultimately um, pretty gained a, a fairly sizable national profile. So it was really an amazing uh, learning ground and a great place to start um, the, learning those skills and, and those ideas. Um, and I would say then for sure, uh, I was very fortunate to get a job right out of college working at CBS News, and this was in Chicago, so WBBM television, uh, and this was back in the mid-80s, and it was really a, kind of a great time to be in Chicago. The Bears had just won the, the one and only Super Bowl. It was yeah. very exciting. Uh, Harold Washington had just been elected mayor. Um, there were just a lot of amazing things happening in the city that, that made it even just very exciting, and at that particular time, uh, the CBS Evening News WBBM was top of the heap in Chicago, and it was just a great time to be there. Gene Siskel shot the Siskel and Ebert show there. Lots of things were happening in that building. Yeah. So for sure, um, working in a fast-moving, and I was very young, uh, TV space. And curiously, I ended up, um, after about a year, in a position that was made because I ended up being the liaison between the newsroom and the art departments, kind of straddling those two departments and uh, coming up with a system for people to talk together well and efficiently. And again, as I look back on it, um, you know, of course, th- that was an entrepreneurial skill, and uh, they threw things in front of me and said, what can you do with this? And I thought, oh, well, we can make this work, and we did. And so it was kind of a, another peculiar piece of learning along the way. But uh, for sure, that was part of my early influences, too, was that, that yeah, nice. at CBS. That's interesting. I the, the arts, you know, the interface that you were the almost diplomat between the the the, the warring the, the warring nations uh, at CBS and then all, I, and I love the way you described the um, innovating inside of structure sometimes people get the idea that it, that innovation and creativity is this completely free sort of thing but it's always with a form people oftentimes use the analog to jazz jazz there's a lot of structure but there's but then there's freedom inside of that structure and so I, I really like the way that you um, describe that and and on this program, as you know, we're also interested in unleashing experiences, and it sounds like these were unleashing experiences along the lines of what Mark Somerville and I talk about in the whole new engineer. But are there other um, uh, experiences or what other experiences or personal influences were there on you that uh, allowed you to have the courage to go in ways that were sort of unproven? Yeah, for sure. Um, another person who is still, interestingly, is looped back, and I have the pleasure of working with him um, somewhat professionally again, is Jim Hettinger. Um, I worked for Jim Hettinger at Battle Creek Unlimited, which is an economic development um, organization run out of Battle Creek um, sure. for a year. And I, I sort of went off the nonprofit path for a year because I had this really fascinating job opportunity. Uh, and I was to open a collaborative office in the city of Marshall, which is yeah, sort of like Saugatuck. It's, a sm- it's in the middle of the state, but it's a small town with a lot of historic architecture, a destination for people who are interested in historic architecture and a beautiful um, small downtown still. 
and uh, Battle Creek formed a partnership with Marshall, and I was <laughs> sent to the frontier, if you will, uh, to open up the first post there. Um, but I loved it. And, of course, now, again, as I look back and think, well, of course I did, because I had to make something out of nothing within a structure. As you said, yeah. I had an office, I had a desk, yeah. I had processes. But, but what it was going to look like and what it was going to be um, was very wide open, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And Jim is just by far um, one of the smartest, uh, most brave and visionary people I know. And curiously, he and his wife are now back here in the village of Douglas, uh, across the bridge where you live. And I am working with Jim again on economic development in the county of Allegan, as we both sit on the Allegan County Economic Development Commission now uh, together again. And um, just a huge influence. And I, I often thought, I only took that, I worked there for a year, and then I kind of got wooed back into the nonprofit sector. And for a while I thought, oh, that was a weird you know, why did I take that path? That was kind of a stupid road bump. What was I doing? But, of course, now at the Art Center, one of our key missions is economic development and really deliberately being an economic spark plug. And so I clearly see, oh, no, yeah. this was what the universe had in mind. I really needed this year of experience under a super smart innovator to get, you know, enough information to be dangerous. So for sure, Jim was um, an unleasher in a way that I never would have imagined uh, that I would have those experiences working in economic development. Nice. Yeah, and it, it's interesting how um, how sometimes the pieces of you know, what we've done don't come into um, uh, clearer folk. You know, they don't come into clear focus um, until till later. Until oh, that was that's that's why I did that, or that's yeah. that's what uh-huh. that's good for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So your so so your current position, your executive director of the Saga Tech Center for the Arts or SCA. What what can you what can you tell our audience about about SCA? Well, it's, I think it's, it's an, such an interesting, innovative story, and, and really almost from the get-go. So we are in what was the old Lloyd J. Harris Pie Factory. So great adaptive reuse story, took an old factory, turned it into an art center. We have a great little 400-seat theater, a small exhibition hall, classrooms, a lobby area that gets used for private events a lot. Uh, we have a, a pavilion area, a garden out front. We tore up the factory floor and planted a garden. And, and significantly, we're right at the southern entryway to town. So people who come visit Saugatuck, and Saugatuck is for sure um, a West Michigan Art Coast Resort destination town. We blow up in the summer, much quieter in the winter. Uh, so people who come in to visit to town will see the art center kind of right there as they come into the little downtown area. Um, from the start, we sort of positioned ourselves and uh, said we want to be a community-based art center. And what we thought and what we continue to believe that means is that particularly we want to be reflective, not prescriptive yeah. for the community. So saying, what do you want? What are you yeah. interested in? Uh, we're not going to tell you you need to go see something to be smart or to be educated, but we're interested in, in putting on things that will have you um, continue to be lifelong learners. Uh, and within West Michigan, we're in such an, an interesting area, heavily design-oriented. Uh, one of the interesting statistics I heard recently is that there are now more designers in the state of Michigan than in California, which I found startling but also utterly believable because I certainly feel it in West Michigan where we are saturated with people in furniture design, um, in automotive design, in uh, doing industrial design uh, for healthcare as well as all those different areas. Lots and lots of super creative um, design-oriented thinkers here in West Michigan. And Saugatuck is only 35 miles from Grand Rapids. So we've got a super important connection to a a mid-sized American urban city, which continually makes the lists of uh, best places to live, right, you know, in, in 
in America, which is pretty cool. Um, and we're in the Fruit Belt here in West Michigan, so um, agriculture and culinary are a part of our history, and that all kind of comes into focus for us, too. Um, in Saugatuck, we have kind of a 100-year love affair with the arts, um, in no small part, because the Chicago School of the Art Institute some artists wandered around uh, the Lake Bend about 100 years ago and started an artist camp, which to this day exists and is flourishing, and like people end up getting like people. So there's a lot of artists, working artists and galleries in Saugatuck. So the arts are particularly um, beloved and important to this community. Um, so when you kind of bring this little perfect storm together here, um, it creates a really, I think, um, rich and saturated atmosphere Yep. Saugatuck and Douglas are so small, a thousand people in each of our little each, communities. Yeah. Too small, really, to have an art center. It kind of makes no sense, except that we are so close to Grand Rapids, saturated with creatives, right here in an area with this 100-year love affair with the arts, and so um, it kind of creates this beautiful sweep that allows us to have something um, small but special, I think, in this area. Yeah, I'm getting worried because it's it is great here, but I I sort of don't want people to know about it. But I, this isn't the Oprah Winfrey show, so there aren't, aren't that many people listening to the show. So there's no risk of uh, becoming becoming saturated. When you say that, and actually, I'm just curious for my own edification. You know, so we've got a couple thousand regular residents. What what does that blow up to in the summer here? Boy, the numbers I, I've heard crazy numbers like thirty thousand. Yeah. I think it's probably more like you know, I don't know five to ten thousand on really busy weekends. You know, Fourth of July or Venetian Fest. I mean, we do chuckle. We see it. I mean, literally, you can't find parking. You know, it's kind of yeah. crazy that way. Um, but there's a lot of uh, people who are second homeowners here, so they'll live in Chicago or Detroit or Palm Springs or Fort Lauderdale, and then this is their second home in the summer, and we're, for, again, so fortunate because we have people coming in, uh, creatives, I, I think we're talking about creative class here, really, coming in from urban cores who um, have expectations about a level of arts and culture that they, that they want, and they're happy to participate and invest. And so, you know, they've got it in their urban areas. They come to Sagatuck. Oh, what do you know? There's an art center. And so then they'll say, well, I'll buy tickets or I might write you a check and, and help support this. So that's another very special, unusual feature of what's going on and why you can have a community-based art center in a town this small. You know, the other piece of it is that um, I, there really are two sides to the coin here. So yeah. there's interesting money that flows into Saugatuck, particularly during um, the, the busy summer resort and tourism season, and with our friends who are maybe second homeowners, or like you, people who have deliberately chosen to retire here, when they could be, frankly, anywhere in America, but we know the creative class can be where they want to be for work, and we've got a great little airport up in Grand Rapids, so that works out. But the surrounding regions, too, are fairly poor, economically challenged. When you look at census numbers and you look at educational levels and you look at medium income, um, particularly you've got a lot of kids who are hovering at the poverty line, really living in challenged incomes. We see this in our free and reduced lunch numbers uh, throughout Allegan County, which is the county we, we are in. Um, lots of kids who really, really are in families where um, coming to an arts center, coming to arts programs, even if the programs are free, it's just not on someone's priority list because they're worried about making and saving money. So um, we have lots of interesting opportunities throughout the school year then to work with schools uh, in creative ways. We hope to supplement curriculum and help yep. kids get better trained. And we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, I want to talk, talk a lot about puzzle. that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you, you've mentioned uh, the, the phrase creative class a number of times, and I think the origins of that, that term comes from Richard Florida, and, and he noticed another factor that, that you haven't mentioned that I think is significant 
that uh, concomitant of of uh, of the kind of uh, culture that that attracts a creative class, uh, there's there's usually a high proportion of uh, gay and lesbian uh, people in the community, and we we have that here too. Well, and again, from my perspective, that is part of the perfect storm that's going on here, is we have a strong gay population, and it's been uh, absolutely wonderful for us, and that has been a, absolutely part of the secret sauce for us, is, is, making, is having the, the proximity to Grand Rapids, um, the wonderfully dense gay and lesbian population, the creatives that are here as a result yeah. of the industry that's been in the area, for sure, that's, that's the swirl. And, you know, again, Grand Rapids, but also we're only two and a half hours, two hours from Chicago. I mean, we're actually closer to Chicago than Detroit, uh, which is interesting. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that all, all add up together to make it possible for two little, pretty tiny, really, what are kind of rural resort towns to have an art center, for sure. Yeah. No, and so it is kind of a special kind of thing, and, and so it's actually a, a nice opportunity to to make something that isn't like everything else, and I think you've you've done that quite nicely. Um, can you tell us? Uh, we've talked about the surrounding community uh, a little bit and and uh, the setting. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with the organization so far? Yeah, I was so fortunate. Um, Gosh, my, and I, I always gauge this by how old my daughter was because she was, I think, five months old when I took the job. So I've been here for 11 years or will be yeah. here for 11 years this fall and uh, came in when the wave was building. And, in fact, I remember saying that to my husband. Um, I had been um, doing writing uh, for a couple of different magazines throughout the state in the area, and I was covering Sagatuck for uh, a lifestyle magazine and kept ending up back here at this very young arts organization. And uh, at one point, I remember saying to my husband, man, there's a wave building here. You can just feel it. And at one point, just sort of blurted out to uh, one of the board members, you know, if you're ever hiring, I've got <laughs> nonprofit management experience. And the story that that person tells is that this is, um, I was sitting next to them at a play, Mason Street Warehouse, which is still yeah. one of our flagship um, uh, products here, I guess I would say theater product, uh, that he, that person ran out to the parking lot at intermission and called the board chair and said, oh my gosh, we've got a live one here. <laughs> so, and in, fa- in fact, I went in for an interview like later that week. And, and of course, here we go again. Talk about the universe aligning things. I had arranged to do um, a biographical, well, not a biographical, I was doing an interview with the woman, Bobby Gaunt, who was then the board chair, who had been a really high uh, female figure up at Ford before she had recently retired from Ford. And, and moved to Saugatuck, again, could be anywhere in the world, but decides to move to Saugatuck. And I thought, oh, man, what a fascinating personality piece. Like, this is, we, this is big time. We need to interview this woman for this lifestyle magazine. So I go in for this interview, ostensibly, with Bobby, and she, of course, ends up flipping it and making it partially a job interview for me. And at one point, I ended up saying to her, like, I don't want to be rude, but, you know, you told me you have to leave for the airport, and we haven't even gotten to my questions for my, and I got a deadline. So... Anyway, it was an all's well that ends well, and uh, yes, we got the piece uh, printed in the magazine, but more importantly, I ended up being the first paid um, executive director. So I've been incredibly blessed to be here for that span of time because we've watched this small business, and I've been at the helm of this small business really growing and evolving to with the community and in reflection of the community, and then pretty from the start also, too, we understood that while ground zero for us is Saugatuck Douglas, again, because of the size of Saugatuck Douglas, 
we would certainly have to serve the entire West Michigan community, or we simply wouldn't have enough butts and seats, as they say, right? Sure. So uh, in order to really draw from the metro area, we would have to be able to attract people from Muskegon and people from Grand Rapids and people even in the, perhaps for big concerts from Kalamazoo or yeah. I live in St. Joe, 45, so 45-minute radius, essentially. Um, and so we had a very regional outlook, too, understanding that financially we would have to be able to figure out how to promote and draw people from a 45-minute radius. So and that let I me interrupt, and, and let's. I want to continue the hearing more about this. So let's take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back. And I want to hear more about the story of what happened from from the, that early moment to to where you are right now. Uh, we'll do that after the break. This is Big Beacon Radio with uh, Kristen Armstrong of the Saugatuck Center for the Arts. Uh, stay with us in the next segment as we continue to follow uh, the journey of the growth of this entrepreneurial center for the arts. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg, and in this second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates Incorporated. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your organization today. Go to 3Joy.com or write to me at deg at 3Joy.com. So before the break, we were talking with our, our guest, Kristen Armstrong, from the Saugatuck Center for the Arts, and she was telling us about uh, her 
coming on board the as executive director 11, 11 years or, or so ago and and starting to tell us a little bit more of that journey from then till now so i interrupted you uh Kristen, for our break Let, let's get back on that track <laughs> well what i've always admired about this art center is that from the beginning the board i think had a very far flung vision uh, and, and I asked Bobby Gaunt, our then board chair, who's still very much involved with the organization, if this sort of happened organically or not. And she said, no, that they had always thought that it should be performing as well as education for children and adults. And they always voiced an economic development component that was literally in the mission, not a kind of a happy coincidence, but that was yeah. explicitly stated. So from the start, the SCA was about trying to bring great performances to the area. And in part, that works. This is just a little bit of the context, because Grand Rapids does not have a performing arts center, so to speak. It has a beautiful arts building that is um, used by the Grand Rapids Ballet, the Symphony, the Opera, and Broadway Grand Rapids. So the building is fairly well booked with these four major tenants. So there's not a big concert venue. Well, and the big concert venue in Grand Rapids is really big, like 25,000 seats big. So, you know, you go from nothing like a bar to 25,000. So there was a niche for a Mm. boutique space in here. uh, Because I think, frankly, had Grand Rapids had that niche filled, I'm not quite sure how well this would have worked, right? Or at least it would have been more difficult to break through. So that niche was open, and then this idea that we would have lifelong learning programming. So interesting things for adults, lots of things for children, and that's really grown and innovated over the years, and we'll talk more about that, Uh, and then this economic development component. Now, again, so great, great um, process, really strong, I think, uh, skeleton. What the heck went in there was a whole other story, and that was really, I think, that's been the really awesome entrepreneurial trip is evolving and flexing and listening to the community and then um, knowing which things should stay and which things should go and of the things that stay, how they continually stay fresh and how do you continually build um, strong partnerships so that people really do feel as though this is their their art center, that it's not the purview of a certain small number of donors or wealthy people or smart people or culture people or whatever that wrap on the arts often is, right? That it's elitist, that it's just for a small slice of the pie. Because we were based in this county that was so economically challenged, we thought, well, gosh, this is it. We've got the opportunity to say arts are for all. Creativity is for everybody. Creativity oughtn't be the purview of the wealthy. In fact, it needs to be for everybody. So let's figure out ways to continually be welcoming and affordable, which for us, a lot of things are flat out free, because that way there's just not a barrier for anybody. Um, And let's figure out a way to um, reflect what people are interested in as much as possible so that people say, oh, yeah, I love the SCA. That's my space. And we decided, too, that, again, that rich social interaction that we wanted to be a place of rich social interaction. And that gets reflected in, in funny ways, like proms. We host high school proms here, which is really cool. Um, we do a lot of weddings and special events, which is neat because we get woven into people's lives. Uh, you know, we have town hall meetings. Sometimes there are things that the city government needs to do, and frankly, there's just not a space big enough in town because the town's so small. So sure. we'll do it here. Uh, we uh, do things like... Um, the high school theater holds its musicals here because we just happen to have a little bit uh, stronger facility than the gym, for instance. So, you know, it's 
it's things that we do, um, our own programming, but also um, kind of a, a willingness and openness to say to the town, oh, gosh, what can we do? What would you like to have here? Can we make that work? And I think um, having that openness and that uh, grounding in, we know we're only here as long as the town's interested in having us here, right? So how do we continually stay relevant and exciting for people so that there is that very reciprocal feeling that it's... And we've taken over the years to calling people who are involved with us part of the SA family. And I think that might be hokey for other groups, but it's authentic and it honestly works for us. So we say, you know, if you're a donor, if you're a ticket buyer, if you're a volunteer, if you're a board member, a staff member, um, if, if you're somebody attending a class, a patron, a guest... Um, we would say, hey, thanks for being part of the SCA family. And we really actually honestly feel that way. Yeah, and um, actually, as I was thinking, I don't know why, I was thinking back to when you talked about the uh, origins of the space as a pie factory. One of the things you've got is great air conditioning because of that, <laughs> those pie factory. I mean, it's, you, you can really get that room in the summer. You can get that room really a good temperature for for uh, when you, even when you have a big crowd, so uh, and actually, I was thinking. I was also thinking about, and you and I have had conversations around uh, another show guest. Uh, we had Sarah Sarasvati on the show not that long ago, and and she has this great distinction that we've talked about between causal and planning thinking and uh, effectual or entrepreneurial thinking, and and it seems to me that. There are things that art centers do a lot of, like put on plays and and performances that are fair, that are in a they're projects in a certain sense, but they're also fairly routine. It's part of the business of putting that art centers normally do. And then there are other activities that are more outside of the normal, um, outside the box of the normal art center that are more entrepreneurial. That you have to it, part of the challenge is figuring out what that figuring out what that is and how to how to do it so um, which of the which of the things that you do at SCA are sort of causal or are largely planned and what, what are the which of the things are effectual or more entrepreneurial yeah that's a great question and I think over 11 years that's probably been one of my biggest learnings is that um, at least for the art center and I, I would be so curious to have like a round table of small business owners to find out if this is really a small business thing that you can plan, but you darn well better be ready for there to be plenty of flexing within that plan. And maybe big business owners would laugh and say, oh, that's just the way of the world. That's how it goes. But what I've discovered is, so we plan, for instance, our exhibition schedule, we plan two to three years out. And this is very standard for museums. We've learned this from our, our, our larger anchor partners who said, hey, you know, you can do this three years out. So I can look up at my wall and I can see what we've planned for 2017 and into 2018. Uh, of course, what's kind of not what we have to be flexible about is within an exhibition, things may flex, become different. Somebody drops out, somebody new comes in. Oh my gosh, it's not quite happening the way we thought it is. So, you know, you're constantly yeah. ready within that plan to say, okay, it's going to be all hands on deck if we need it. So we can plan for exhibitions. Some of our performances we can book ahead of time. It depends on who the entertainer is and if he or she books out that far. Classical people really like to be um, planned. <laughs> and I think the pop people are taking it more on a uh, how's it going? Am I riding a wave? Can I get more money now than last year? And so, you know, there's more flexibility with, with the people who are kind of in the pop world. Uh, but some of our concerts can be planned way the heck out. Um, some of our children's programming can also absolutely be planned as long as we're absolutely open to flexing within that plan. So every year, for instance, we do a Potawatomi 
Indian Cultural Festival in the fall, and we do a children's film festival in partnership with the Telluride Film Festival yeah. out in Telluride uh, in the spring. And we know who our partners are, and uh, we know how we're going to work together, and then we flex within that um, set of, of kind of boundaries about, well, the schools are often different, you know, who comes and who doesn't year to year. Uh, and sometimes within um, that process then we'll say, well, last year it was food, but this year we're going to talk about history or whatever. So, again, and, again, that's about being responsive. I would argue that if, particularly if you're an art center, uh, you constantly got to say to your customers, what do you want? Is this still interesting to you? Um, I'll still do a concert, but is it this person or this person, you know, type thing. Sure. So really always asking your customers, and this is true within manufacturing, what do you want? What, what am I supposed to be making for you? What product is most interesting to you? But like Steve Jobs says, sometimes people don't know what they want until you show them what they want. So we're trying to always also balance that. Some of these things maybe we should say, was this what you were thinking? But yeah. it's a line. We don't want to be prescriptive and say, here's what you must see to be educated, whatever. Uh, but on the other hand, sometimes you do have to hold things out in a way and ask, is this what you thought about? Or give it a whirl. Sometimes I think, too, in, in art, um, you need to be willing to get out there with something a little more dramatic, a little more daring, a little more off the beaten path, and know from the start, we're not going to sell this out. We probably won't even get close. So let's see if we can't get underwriting to pay for this because the community ought to at least have the opportunity to taste the dish, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you may never bake it again, but at least you can say you tasted it once yeah, and you've had that and experience I'm, and it's part of your world now. And I'm, curi- and I'm curious about that. So, um, like, there probably have been some uh, things that you put out there that you thought were going to be terrifically successful and weren't, and then there were probably some things you thought were going to be really hard sells that that went bananas. Uh, you know, what, what have been some of the uh, surprises, um, either upside and downside surprises in some of your programming in, in this way? Yeah, so la- a couple years ago we did a big Culture of India festival, and we brought in a group, and I'm laughing because they are darlings of the critics like continually, and we like to say, yes, we had them before they were huge, and no one came to see them. (laughs) Their name is Red Barat, B-A-R-A-A-T. It's an incredible um, eight-piece band from Brooklyn, but it's Indian, India wedding music. It's the Bollywood thing. They are phenomenal, and oh my gosh, we could only convince about 110 people to come see them. Uh, and they continually show up on NPR and other places, and everyone loves them, but it was just a little too far out there. It was a dish with a little too much spice, probably literally and metaphorically, um, for our audience, although I'm still proud um, that we had them because every time they show up on NPR, I think, aha, see, we did this, So, uh, and thank goodness we had underwriting, so you know, it was kind of okay. Sure. Um, so that was one that, you know, golly, good stuff, but we just couldn't quite get people to agree that that was their taste. Okay. Um, yeah, when I think about something that I thought, you know, oh, dear, what the heck, uh, that, that's a better question because, of course, usually I'm more, we're more circumspect when we think this will never work than we're so small we often say, well, then maybe we better not do it at all. You know, I, actually, I will say, so this was a good example this winter. Um, we had a, a, what turned out to be a fantastically popular exhibition by a fabulous Iranian-born female artist, Sarvan Hajiji, who is Hagigi, excuse me, who's a Chicago person who also happens to have a second home in Sagatuck, and it was called uh, Journey Down the Silk Road, and it had a lot of um, beautiful roomy poetry and uh, calligraphy, Farsi calligraphy, and it was really an exotic, far out there show. And I thought that the response would be, oh, not not that people would 
that people would just be disinterested, that they'd say, oh, well, that's interesting, but it's not my cup of tea. And that turned out to be exactly the opposite, that people adored that exhibition, loved the messages behind it, uh, and really, really flocked to see it. So that mm. was a great example of something that I thought would be kind of received tepidly, yeah. uh, that it really caught on. And in, you know what, though, in no small part, because Sarvan is incredibly entrepreneurial and collaborative, and I think people really gravitated to her personality. Yeah. So, and one of the things I admire about the about your organization and you is is your fearlessness to go after things that haven't been done before. And so, what are the, some of the, so we've been talking about kind of normal sorts of programming for an art center, but as some of the excursions that you make and the things that you can plan. But what about some of the things that have evolved uh, that aren't sort of the normal? Uh, everyday run-of-the-mill thing for an art center? What are some of the more effectual or entrepreneurial things that have um, kind of bubbled up over the 11 years? Oh, this is probably a, a really good time to talk a little bit about how our educational program has shifted, okay. because I think we've gone from pretty standard fare. When we first started, we thought, okay, gosh, we should do after-school programming. Well, as it turns out, when you're in a rural community, after-school programming is hard because no one's got a bus or a car to get to you. So yeah. we had to reassess that and say, hmm, okay, that's on everybody, all the other art center's menus, but maybe that's not going to work for us. So we said, okay, so children's summer camps and classes. Yep, yep. And we have still, in fact, an extremely robust, interesting, I think, menu of you know classes and camps your kids can take all summer. Awesome. Uh, and over the years, we kind of slowly and steadily evolved into also really serving the schools. And the first in, uh, entree with the schools was the Children's Film Festival. And that has evolved over time in terms of our new partnership with the Telluride Film Festival. It's all documentaries now. Kids see short, so everything is 20 minutes or less, lots of short little documentaries, yeah. foreign and national. So that's really interesting. But through the years, too, now... We started to look at the school system and our economic activity bubble and say, gosh, is there any role we could be playing with the schools to better help get kids trained up to be the employees that employers in the area need? One of the big economic feedbacks in West Michigan is that employers can't find employees with the right soft skills. So problem solving, analytical thinking, ability to work in teams, written and verbal communication, um, all that soft stuff that um, comes through different types of learning styles. And we've, uh, over six or seven years now, evolved into kind of a whole model for around something that's called a method called project-based learning, just what it sounds like, where you, you are teaching students not only the hard math, science, STEM, STEM things primarily, uh, but also language skills in addition to those really crucial soft skills that we now need for today's 21st century innovation economy. This, of course, is what you are such an expert on and know all about. Um, and what we've discovered is that there is a role that an art center can play in helping, and we're looking at primarily K-12, through helping elementary, middle, and high schools play in if they are interested in that evolving their curriculum to have project-based learning and to look at how we just better train kids so that they're getting out of high school, ready for college, ready for internships, ready for first jobs with those crucial soft skills. I just saw a survey this morning coming out of Allegan County, and 60, that was the number one thing. 61% of the employers who responded to the survey said soft skills was what they were most lacking hmm. in current applicant pool. Ding, yeah, ding, ding. and... Yeah, I want to pay, I want to uh, after the break I want to come back to that cuz that seems uh central to our 
our our common interest. So hang hang in there. This is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our our special guest uh, Kristen Armstrong. And after the guest, we'll talk a little bit more about soft skills or shift skills, and as well as uh, the educational activities of the Saugatuck Center for the Arts. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by the radio program. Advertise on this show and reach some of the most committed reformers and transformers in education today. Write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to, to reach your audience today. And uh, we're coming back with Kristen Armstrong, Executive Director of the Saugatuck Center for the Arts. And we were, we were starting to talk a little bit about the, the growing role in uh, the educational sphere of, uh, of the center. And we were talking about soft skills. And on, you know, on this, we call them, don't call them soft skills, call them shift skills on this program. But um, yeah, so and you were, we were talking to each other during the break you know, that uh, you almost fell off your, your chair. Kristen, so I, a, I hope you've gotten off the floor. But um, why, why was that so surprising to you that uh, that was the number one lack or need? Well, it was sixty-one uh, percent. I mean, it wasn't even close. Yeah, I was. I just thought, holy smoke! You know, wow. Okay, for real. Um, and there's other things too. Obviously, you talk about not a big enough skill force, and you know, blah blah blah. But soft skills that, that was a big one. And I feel as though part of the problem is that people, people meaning just the general populace, isn't even aware of this yet. So part of the ambassadorial role that all of us who are in wishing to shift the educational model to best help students become young people become um, the employees and employers need, we've got to get the population understanding what the issue is here. Uh, and that's one of the issues for sure. Yeah, I wonder what the, I, and I, you know, sometimes different people use the same language differently, and I wonder what that 61% meant by that. 
What's your interpretation? Well, I'd, I'd like to ask that. And funny enough, this afternoon I'm going to be at an Economic Development Commission um, meeting with a number of employers, and that is a question that I would, am going to take some time to ask is, tell me what you mean when you say soft or shift skills. What does that mean for you? So I'll let you know. I'll get back to you on yeah, that. No, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about important. it. I'm wondering if some of this doesn't have to do in, uh, with the rise of, uh, you know, so you can't go anywhere without people looking at their uh, smartphones and the kind of disconnect that that seems. So we're connected with the smartphone and via text to somebody at the other end, but kind of one-on-one interaction seems to be a dying art. I wonder if wonder if that has something to do with it. Well, you know, and it has me thinking about we're in this transition period where um, the schools, many schools are still teaching for the knowledge economy, but we are now in the innovation economy. But kids at school are still being taught that what's valued is being able to spit back lots of information. And yeah. spitting back information now means getting on your phone and Googling it, right? right? So kids, I think, are even in flux where what they're graded on or told is important in the place, in their office place, which is schools, where they sit for six or eight hours a day. And then they get out into the world um, with working class people who are, who are saying, well, no, I want you to analyze. I want you to synthesize all this information and analyze it. And there's three other people you have to work on with this. And you've got flexible deadlines. And I would imagine most of their heads are spinning because mostly they never get asked to do this or not with nearly yeah. enough consistency in their office place, the school. Yeah. Now, and uh, what last week's show we had uh, Vince Bertrand from uh, Project Lead the Way on, and he was talking about the ways in which the um, – the the missing the missing skill is the you know, so you have whatever knowledge or 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 information or things that you've learned um, applying it to something uh, out of context is is really difficult. So it's, we're, right. I think we're talking about many of the same things. As you know, one of the reasons I became interested, you know, when I moved here, I was interested in volunteering some of my time to the community to help the community uh, with the kinds of things that I did, and when I looked around and and tried various possibilities and 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 found the SEA uh, such an interesting place because you were interested in um, uh, going beyond traditional boundaries of art into things like education you mentioned you mentioned the uh, project-based learning but a lot of times project-based learning uh, where I come from the stem world means robots and things like that but your project-based learning is a bit different maybe you could describe some of the things that you've been involved with at SEA yeah, we we had a really intriguing thing happen, and that was that the lo- one of the local high school prof- uh, teachers reached out to us because we had a nice relationship with them already because of some of this social interaction piece, the prom being here, theater being here, so we've got a nice relationship with them. And he said, I'm really interested in project-based learning in my classroom, but I don't see how I can do this myself. Are you guys interested in, in working with me? What a great invitation. Such mm-hmm. a great invitation. I don't know that we would have, we'd have had the courage, but it might have taken a lot longer for us to knock on the door and say, does anybody want help? You know, awesome to have somebody ask us. So our really genius young um, education and exhibition manager, who knew all about this, this had been part of her training in school as an arts educator, knew yeah. exactly what project-based learning was, said we'd love to help. So over the last three years, we've developed a really neat little model, and we're kind of now in that cool entrepreneurial phase where we're trying to figure out, well, can we ramp this up? Can we replicate this? Like, where do we go from here? But the, the project was that we, we worked with this teacher to help implement, and Mr. Green understood the nuts and bolts of what PBL was and what it took, but he didn't have things that we could bring to the table. And what, we've, what we brought to the table is what I think 
other art centers could do, could do the same, and could be then this, this helpmate, this support, this partner in project-based learning. So we, what we bring is, I call the Rolodex because I'm old enough that I still have one sitting on my desk, meaning because we're a collaborative, a connective organization, we know a lot of people, or we can figure out who the contact ought to be for you. Because Mr. Green said, well, I, I don't even know who I'd ask to help the kids with this sort of thing. So we said, hey, we got a Rolodex, no problem. We also said, you know what, we've got a facility. So when we need spaces, professional spaces, meeting spaces, out-of-school spaces, we've got a great facility. We said we've also got a great roster of established programming. I call it the megaphone. We've already got programs in place that the community comes to monthly. So if we can plug students into, let's say, our intriguing conversation, which is kind of an informal, talk about Oprah, kind of an Oprah show type series, we're going to already have members of the community who come anyway because they're used to that series and they like it. Plugging the students in gives the students legitimacy, but also gives them an awesome platform. So those three things, which I think most art centers would probably have, those were key things that we brought to the table uh, with Mr. Green that, that we could help with. And what we said to John is, same, just what you would have said, well, gosh, how about if we don't build a robot? Because, frankly, we don't build widgets, and we're not going to be able to be very helpful with that. But we said, what if we chose a social justice issue? And anyway, isn't that kind of intriguing to figure out how we might take something some big problem and see what the kids can do. So the first year uh, that they did this, it was kind of about some, some gender and education um, inequities, and it was a small thing, and then that went well. So the second year we ramped up and did a lot more, and that year they looked at the connection between the foster care system and teen homelessness, essentially kids aging out of foster care and then ending up homeless. So this last year, it got even uh, more deep, and they decided to look at human trafficking, and they focused even on sex trafficking because that's what so many uh, middle school and high schoolers are targeted for sex trafficking. So, I mean, serious, heavy problems, and problems that, frankly, you know, as an adult, you think, oh, my gosh, this is too big. You can't, what are, really, what are you going to do? Uh, but they, in, in all of these cases, ended up meeting with all kinds of professionals and coming up with some rather amazing educational and advocacy tools and projects that they did that had a tremendous impact on the community, for sure, on social service agencies that they worked with and ended up producing real-world deliverables that are still being used by these groups and certainly on themselves. And one of the soft skills that we're interested in helping kids build that this PBL model does is empathy, um, empathy within the workplace setting. And uh, using social justice issue as a project-based learning tool is an excellent way to expand boundaries and build empathy. So kind of the, the, the scaffolding that we bring to the schools to help them get this done, and then the decision to, to choose some kind of a big social justice problem, I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, too, uh, for the students to realize that they can dive into something as big as homelessness or sex trafficking and find out that, in fact, they can have an impact. They can really change their community in ways large and small is enormously empowering and, frankly, yeah. life-changing for them. Well, and when we talked about this before, uh, there were some incredible unleashing stories uh, surrounding all of these experiences, as, as you would expect, but, but they were, they were, they were pretty, pretty big ones. And I'm thrilled because these kids then go into college already 
with these soft skills, uh, these complex abilities to reason, to analyze, to synthesize, to problem solve, to teamwork, blah, 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 in, under the belt, and the feedback we've had with them, because we've been very curious to follow this, to see how, how, what sticks with them. Does any of it stick with them? Does some of it stick with them? And the feedback from kids is, oh, my gosh, it stays with me in very tangible ways. I can be in a classroom with 300 kids and not be afraid to speak up, even though I'm in this massive school system now at the University of whatever. Of X, um, yep. And that they personally continue to stay involved as advocates or volunteers in these in these uh, kind of problem areas because their heart has been touched so deeply. And I don't think anybody anticipated that going into it. So it's been two really neat sides of the coin in terms of um, not only the real hard learning, but then also um, again preparing kids to be better at the, the types of employees that our employer that our employers are clamoring for. Well, and this kind of unleashing can really can last past all kinds of obstacles. And, and uh, uh, you, as you said, you go to the big state, you, and there's no one, you know, there's no one home to paying attention. And it doesn't, it then doesn't matter because the student's been empowered to go get what they want and make sure that they're getting it. I've, I, I remember from the iFoundry experience, uh, any number of the students facing active resistance from faculty members that said, no, you can't do that. And they said, oh, yes, I can. And they went and did it. And four years <laughs> later, they were off doing, you know, it wasn't, it's something that can't be taken. I suppose it can be taken away with a severe enough punishment and, and, and enough of an obstacle, but it, it's really darn hard to take it away when they've had these very authentic um, experiences like, like the ones that, that your kids are having. Yeah, and it, it really does ex- inspire the community. Uh, one of the neat things we've been able to do is um, give these students a platform through our Intriguing Conversation series, uh, and so they've got to get up and give a, an hour-long presentation to the community, and we end up with more people coming to those programs yeah. now than just about any other thing we do for the rest of the year. So the oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And they don't think they can do it, and of course they do an incredible job, and they deeply touch and impact yeah. um, the community members who are there because it's so authentic and the learning is so deep and, and you just, the transference is quite remarkable, just quite remarkable. I mean, it's yeah. a win-win-win for everybody in this kind yeah. of a situation. And, and you know, so, okay, so SCA is, is not your grandmother's center for the arts. <laughs> it's a different kind of place. And I want to contrast this with... Um, and I, and I'm not gonna. I'm not picking on libraries here, but I was up in Grand Haven the other day, and I, I needed to. Um, I needed to be honest. I needed to hit the head. And I walk in, and there's this beautiful building with, uh, with a stern-looking librarian in the front, and and rows and rows of books, and no one in the darn place. Now, yeah, it's summer and so forth, but I, I, I just, it's, um, from the standpoint of a centroid or a community place where people go. People used to go and read in libraries, but now um, Amazon and other other places to read stuff online seem to have kind of taken away, in many ways, the core mission of of a library. And I, I wonder if you would comment the vis-a-vis, uh, and this isn't, I don't mean to set this up libraries versus centers for the arts, but there's a sense in which the kind of doing and being of a library um, in an innovation economy is 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 taking over from from the the reading and knowing of the knowledge uh, the knowledge economy and the library. 
Right. Well, and I think you could also hold up the old uh, model of museums, right? Of uh, mm. and how museums were very prescriptive, and it was you know the same, maybe the same along the same type of thing. That's where I think you know you and I have talked about what does a 21st century art center look like, uh, and I was thinking, golly, all right, so maybe we are absolutely on that path. That that's who we have not. I wouldn't have said that previously, but now I you know sit up a little straighter and think, well, yes, there you have it. That's what we are, um, and I think it has to do with this. this this deep uh, mission to connect with the community, this, this words, these words that we say, community-based art center. So we're reflective, not prescriptive. We're very interested in cultivating lifelong learning, that we yeah. started at an early age, that this goes cradle to grave, if you will, that we continually say to people, what would you like to learn about? What are you curious about? What do you want to know about? Uh, that we've got kind of design thinking and innovation yeah. skills in mind is how we scaffold up and how we bring so that it's it's not about fine art. It's really about creativity. Because I think when we talk about fine art, people very quickly say, oh, it's drawing, it's painting, it's dancing. And they say, well, if I can't do it, or I'm not interested in it, then no thank you. And I'd like to have a much bigger umbrella out there. And if yeah. we talk about creativity, it's a really big umbrella. And you can uh, do everything very... from run a farmer's market like we do to, you know, films or classes for children. Yep. And I think having this idea Need that it's a rich social it. interaction... Okay, good. No, thanks. Thanks, Kristen. And, and uh, quick uh, URL and or contact information. Just More that. information at sc4a, that's the number four, sc4a.org. And you can get a hold of me, Kristen, at sc4a.org. And that's Kristen with two eyes. Thanks, Kristen. Appreciate your uh, joining us today. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with Dave Goldberg. Special thanks to our guest, Kristen Armstrong, from the Saugatuck Center for the Arts. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, as we continue our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.